Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. Dude, good to be with you. Thanks for hanging out. I love you guys. You're the best. Dude, let's jump into the lesson today. How do we show that you're serious about a relationship? Like, how do you prove to someone that you're serious about having their back? Diamond ring? If you like it, then you better put a ring on it. And you should see my dance moves with that. Uh, like, like, I legit don't know. Like, how do you prove to somebody that you're serious about being all in? Well, let me show you how both Heavenly Father and Abraham showed they were serious about their relationship. And I think it will help you understand your relationship with them too. In Genesis chapter 15, right at the beginning, it says, The Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Now, you know, God's already promised Abraham, starting out when he saves him from being sacrificed, that he's going to be in his family here. He's like, I promise, you're gonna, I'm going to put my name upon you. And he says something similar here. He says, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I have your back. You're my family. Like what it means to be in family is that you get all the blessings of being in the family. You get to walk in and eat out of the pantry. You get to sleep in the bed. Like God's like, you are in my family. I am going to be thy shield. I'm going to give you the rewards. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless and the steward of my house, this Eliezer of Damascus is the one that's going to inherit Abraham said, Thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So basically he's saying, Heavenly Father, like, uh, you've made me these promises uh, of being a father, of being a nation, and like, I don't have a family. He's like, the, the guy, like my general manager, is he's going to be the guy who inherits everything. And the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, Eleazar shall not be thine heir. Whoa, okay. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. You're going to have a kid. You're going to have a family. Uh, and he brought Abraham forth abroad, out into this starry night, right? And he said, look towards heaven. You, you remember those nights, those summer nights where the stars just blaze across the night sky when you're out there in the mountains or you're out there in the high desert and there are just so many. And he says, look toward heaven. Tell the stars, count the stars, if you can even count them. He's like, your family is going to be that big. Your seed is going to be that big. And Abraham believed the Lord. And... And he said unto him, God said unto Abraham, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. Like you were tied to an altar. Things couldn't go more wrong for you. And I rescued you. I rescued you to give you this land to inherit it. And, and he says, Lord God, where boy shall I know that I shall inherit it? And God said to him, take a heifer. Okay, so the, like, the question is here. How do you know God's serious about having your back? How do you know you're really in the family and you're not just a guest? And then he says something interesting. God says to Abraham, take a cow, three years old, take a goat, three years old, take a ram, three years old, take a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So one, two, three, four, five animals there. And um, right when God says to, to take it, like Abraham knows what to do. Abraham take, took these animals and he cut them in half. We were like, what, what, what? 
<laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on here? And, and he laid each piece one against another. And when the fowls, when the vultures come down upon the carcasses, Abraham drives them away. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, he's got the, these animals divided in half. He's sitting there watching. The sun goes down and it's dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What? Okay, so cross-reference this over to Exodus, Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them by the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light to go by night. So what is going on here? Abraham's like, how do I know you're serious about me being in your family? And God says, take an animal and cut it in half. And then God passes through the middle of this cut in half animal. What is going on here? Well, here's what's going on. Yahweh, the God of all, right, makes a promise to Abraham that he'll give him land, descendants, blessings, that he'll be in his family. And Abraham wonders how he'll know this for certain. So he cuts it on in half and passes through. In fact, if you read verse 18 in Hebrew, it will say not that 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 day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It will say on that day Yahweh cut a covenant with Abraham cut a covenant. Like seriously, anytime you see the phrase made a covenant, the translation, it is the translation of two words in Hebrew, berith, and not like my Hebrew pronunciation is going to be great here, but humor me. Berith, and that's going to mean covenant, and karath, that means to cut off or to cut down. So when you say made a covenant, you're cutting a covenant. What does this mean? What's the history on this? Well, so you got to go back to the ancient world, right? And you have two unknown parties meet up and they want to work together, but they aren't kin. They aren't family. How do you know that they're not going to deceive? How do you know that they're not going to have a falling out? What are you going to do if they, they, they go out on this deal and they steal your stuff? Leave them a bad Yelp review? Come on, man. How do you know you can count on these people? How do you know they just won't turn around on welts on their promise? Will you up the stakes? So you, you take an animal and you say, are you for real about keeping your promise? And they're like, yeah, 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 I am. And he says, okay, go get that lamb. Okay, now cut it in half. And you could imagine doing this with a real live animal, the bones, the sinews, the, the blood, the difficulty of butchering this, right? The, the gruesomeness of this. Then you say to him, all right, now stand in the middle and, and say, I promise to do such and such. And they say, I promise to do such and such. And then you end it with, or may this, and they gesture to the cut animal, or may this happen to me. Oh, dang. You think you're going to keep your promise then? Straight up. You are going to keep your promise. See, what, what's going on here when you cut a covenant, when you tear a covenant, is you're saying, like, I will keep my covenant or well, I may be tore apart in such a violent, vicious manner. Dude, our promises we make today are so cheap and meaningless, right? When was the last time you re- actually read the terms and conditions agreement before promising and swearing by your name that you will fulfill the stated terms? I, we're just like, click. That's just not the same, man. 
But notice in this story who's making the promise to keep their covenant. It's not Abraham that passes through the animals. It's God himself that passes through the animals. He's stating that in no uncertain terms that he is committed, that he is all in on this relationship, that he's serious. His absolute, unswerving, never-ending commitment to us. He plans on blessing us, giving us a place in his heavenly home. He, like, he's saying, you really are a family. And if I, like, I'm telling you there's no way this breaks. Like, or may this happen to me. May creation be torn apart at this foundation. May I be ripped asunder. Man, he's like, this promise is real. Okay, so that's how we know God is serious about keeping his promise to have our backs. When he says, I promise you, when he says you are in my family through baptism, I have your back, he will never swerve from this. He will always be there. So how does Abraham show he's serious about being all in with God? Well, you got to go a couple chapters later in Genesis 17. And it says, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou complete, be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant, remember, cut my covenant, between thee, me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Remember, still no no kids, no inheritance, right? Like, neither shall thy name be called any more Abram, but, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. This new covenant, right? New name, new way of being. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. Man, this is trust. 99, exceedingly fruitful. You don't see it yet. I'll make the nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant, cut my covenant, between me and thee and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant. If you are in this family, which you are, if you got your patriarchal blessing, you are in this family. It will say it. It will declare it right there. And here's what the promise is. I'm going to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Man, sometimes people overcomplicate this covenant. I'm probably going to say this again another point, but I want to pause right here and just clarify, right? When we make the covenant, Abrahamic covenant, new and everlasting covenant, endowment covenant, baptism covenant, sacrament covenant, it's all the same covenant basically, okay? In this, God puts his name upon us. We become his family. We are born again into his family. When you see covenant, think family. You're in the family. And God asks of us that we, we are, are members of the family, contributing members of the family, and we invite others to partake of his goodness, right? When he says covenant, just think family. Okay, right? And God's already shown he's serious, that he's all in on the, this family relationship. Uh, he says that, that he's going to give them possession of a land of Canaan, symbolic of the land he has in store of us in the celestial kingdom. And let's be real, this earth shall be renewed and receive its paradisical glory. Canaan will be the celestial kingdom. It's a promise of this everlasting kingdom. For an everlasting possession, I will be their God. I will be their God. You will be in my family. So God's serious, right? And God said unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore. Thou and thy seed after this generation. How are you going to show this, right? How are you going to show you're serious? 
This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Think about this real quick. How do you make a covenant? You cut a covenant here. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. This is cool. What symbolism there? You're not just cutting apart an animal and saying, I'm serious about this. You're, you're cutting off a piece of you. And even this piece of you responsible for, um, for, for creation, for family, this blessing that he wants, this godhood, right? It is going to be a token, a reminder of this covenant that was cut. So God walks through the, the cut animals and Abraham and his family are circumcised as a token of this promise, right? So um, does he do it? Like, would you do it? So sure enough, Genesis 17, back to the story, verse 15. God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee also a son of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. It seems like uh, to show Ishmael is not inheriting because of how he's living, right? And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his seed after him. They will be my family, right? And they will be their mission to spread my love to all, right? Uh, And so Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with money and every man, male among Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day. And God said unto him, And Abraham was 90 years old and nine, and he was circumcised of the flesh of his foreskin. Dang. So they cut a covenant. They show they're serious about having uh, a family relationship with God, that they're all in on this, right? Once you know about this idea of cutting a covenant, tearing a covenant, you're going to see it all over the place. Like Captain Moroni, Alma 4611, came to pass when Moroni who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of these dissensions. He was angry with Amalickiah. And it came to pass that he tore his coat. Yeah, right there, you see it? He tore his coat. He could have just unbuttoned it, right? He could have taken a piece of cloth. That tearing, ripping, cutting is part of this covenant, right? Then he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it in memory of our God, our religion, and freedom our peace, our wives, our children, and he fastened it on the end of a pole. He tore this covenant to remember God, to remember his wives and children, their wives and children, and to defend them. And when Moroni tells this to the people, he went forth, well, he says his prayer, right? And he went forth among the, the people, waving the torn part of his garment, waving this token of his torn covenant, cut covenant, right? that all might see the writing which he had written upon the rent part. 
and crying with a loud voice, saying, Behold, whoever will maintain this title upon the land, let them come forth in the strength of the Lord and enter into a covenant that they will maintain their rights and their religion and the Lord may bless them. How do they make this covenant? And it came to pass that when Moroni had proclaimed these words, behold, the people came running together with their armor girded about their loins, rending their garments in token or as a covenant that they would not forsake the Lord their God. Right? Because if they would, may the Lord rend them even as they had rent their garments. God promises he will be faithful or may he be torn apart like these animals are torn apart. May Abraham promises his faithfulness or may he be cut off like this foreskin is cut off, right? Rending and tearing a covenant. How do we do this today? I am not advocating you go out and find yourself like an animal and cut it apart unless you're a butcher. Like, and please... Don't be cutting off any body parts right here, man. <laughs> stop. stop. How do we do it today? Think about this. The, this rending, tearing, or cutting a symbol, a token of covenant. You remember that, right? As the bread is torn for you and you took that torn bread into your body to show that you're serious about your family membership to show you're serious about being in God's kingdom? How do you show that's real for you, right? So, God made them promises. He promises that they are, that they are in his family, all in. Uh, and I'm wondering here, how did these promises play out in real life? Because... Like, that's the real question here, right? Like, life is messy. Like, the moment we make the promise, that's pretty clean. It's pretty obvious. You're like, I have your back. He says, I, I have your back. We'll say, I'm all in. I want to be in your family. But what is it like in real life? Man, I don't know. See, I, I think it will be useful here if we look at, at some real people. And I want you, as we look at these real people, to, to just consider um, what is going on here. Like, consider, is it easy? Um, does it go smoothly? Maybe think about it. Maybe, obviously, maybe that's not the question because it obviously doesn't go smoothly. But maybe that's just a good reminder that being in a covenant doesn't guarantee that mortal life won't happen. But I want you to look in these stories I'm going to tell you here and look for who's struggling. Why are they struggling? How do they try and solve the problem? And how does God actually solve the problem? Like, what does it look like in real life to be in a family relationship with God? So to get a feel for this, remember, God made a promise that Abraham and, and Sarah would have posterity. And, and so we backtrack a bit, right? Um, that they try and take action here, right? Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. So they try and solve the problem. She has a handmaid whose name was Hagar. And so she says, the Lord has restrained me from having children. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, a euphemism there for sexual relations, right? And then 
since she is my servant, you have children by her and they will be my children and your real children and will conceive that way and, and be able to move forward. And so Abraham went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she was conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Means see like human nature, right? Real, realness of life. She gets pregnant. Sarah can't get pregnant. And so she tries, starts to mistreat um, Sarah, right? Um, and when uh, Sarah goes to Abraham and she's like, dude, Hagar is awful. And he's like, she's your maid. You do what you need to do. And Sarah dealt hardly with Hagar, meaning she treats her pretty, pretty harshly. So Hagar flees from before Sarah's face. She's out in the desert, and you know, like, this is not the most hospitable climate out there in the, the Middle East. And she, she's there by a spring of water, a well of water in the wilderness, and an angel found Hagar there. And the angel starts to talk to her, right? She's like, why, why are you out here in the desert? I think that's interesting approach by God, too. Like, he knows why he's out there, but the angel still asks. And Hagar says, I'm running away. Sarah's mean. And the angel says, you need to return and submit thyself to, to Sarah. And then she makes this promise. He says, if you do, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall be not be numbered. Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard thy affliction. And she called the name of the Lord and spake unto her, Thou God seest me. That's interesting language there, right? So think, who's having the trial here? Well, kind of Sarah and Abraham, but then also Hagar. But what would we learn about real life here? What do we learn about being in a covenant with God? Obviously, it doesn't mean that, that all our difficulties are taken away or that it minimizes the, the difficulty of dealing with real people in real situations. But that line right there, right? That God heard thy affliction and God seest me fully known and fully loved let's keep going here still still this same sort of idea I'll tell the story you'll be looking like what is it like to be in a relationship with God right Genesis 21 the Lord visited Sarah as he had promised right and Sarah conceived and bear Abraham a son in his old age. It's a miracle. Isaac. And God is, and Abraham is serious about this. He knows God has blessed him. He wants to be all in. And so he takes Isaac when he's eight days old and cuts a covenant with God, right? And circumcises his son as God had commanded, dedicating him to God. But as they, they begin to grow up, right, Ishmael is quite a bit older than Isaac. And Sarah one day, uh, like this is her precious baby. She's waited so long for this boy. And you know how like uh, new parents are really super precious about their 
toddlers and infants, right? Especially the first one. By the time you get to like the third one, you're like, like honestly, they lick that. It's okay. Like I'm pretty sure that's all right. You know what I mean? But it's it's the only child. It's the first child and she's waited so long for it, right? Well, Ishmael is quite a bit older than Isaac and Sarah walks out and she sees Ishmael mocking Isaac and she loses it. And she goes to Abraham and she's like, throw Hagar and Ishmael out. Like he, he cannot be around Isaac. This is grievous in Abraham's sight because Ishmael's his son, right? But God says, I can, I can take care of this, right? Make things right with Sarah, calm her down. Like I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to take care of Hagar. I'm going to make them a great nation. So Abraham takes bread and a bottle of water and gives it to Hagar and sends her away. She goes out into the wilderness. She's filling it. Abraham's filling it, right? Hagar's filling it. Ishmael's filling it, right? And she has her son lay in the shade in the hot heat under one of the shrubs. And she goes a ways off thinking like Ishmael's going to die and I just don't want to watch. And she just cries and weeps. And God hears her and says, what's wrong, Hagar? And then this line, fear not, Hagar. For God hath heard. And God knows where Ishmael is. Arise, lift up Ishmael. Hold him in thine hand. I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. And God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the land of the wilderness What is it like to be in a covenant here, right? Under the protection of God. God hath heard. God knows where he is, right? One more here, 22. And God goes and visits Abraham again, right? Abraham says, behold, I am here. And God says, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, Whom thou lovest. Now remember, Ishmael, he is sent away um, under Sarah's direction. Isaac is all they're going to have. He's sure Isaac's a miracle here, right? He says, take this son whom thou lovest, your only son, right? And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. Oh, man, tell me Abraham doesn't want to throw up at this point. There's so much here. Not only killing your own son, but like Abraham, like he grows up in Ur where they are doing this. Like this is such a like a traumatic thing in his past. His dad tried to sacrifice him like this is deep and bitter. And that is huge 
So you gotta, you, will you please just stop and think for a bit? Like God hears, he sees, he knows, he helps, he lifts, provides the well, all of this. Miracles, cuts a covenant, he says he's all in. But he's also not, how do you say, he's also not above asking really hard things. Take thy only son and offer him. Now, the Old, Old Testament texts aren't like these texts. If it, if it was a modern text, it would tell you everything that was going on in Abraham's mind, but it doesn't. You just get Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men, his servants, with him and Isaac, his son, chopped uh, the wood for the burnt offering. And they went to the place that God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. He's walking there for three days, this running through your mind over and over. And Abraham said to the servants, stay here with the donkey. And me and Isaac will go up yonder and worship. Then I'll come back. And Abraham takes the wood and has Isaac start to carry it. And he takes some fire, some stuff to start a fire and a knife, and they go, both of them up together. And Isaac turns to his dad and says, Dad, he's like, what, son? He's like, okay, we have something to start fire and we have wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham, sick to his stomach, says, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. So they went, both of them together. It's a leap of faith. And they came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and then bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Some people are like, Abraham knew what was going to happen. I don't know that he does. It doesn't, the language doesn't reflect that. Abraham's all in, man. Abraham's all in. I would submit to you, Isaac's all in here to this point. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, Here am I. And he says, Lay not thy hand on the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou reverencest, fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. And you know how the story goes. Abraham looks up, sees a ram caught in the thicket, and they offer that ram. And God says, I want you to know I'm all in. And now that I know that you're all in, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and the sand is which upon the seashore. And the seed shall possess the gate of thy, his enemies. 
and in thy seed, me and you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So what does it mean to be all in with God? What does it mean to be in his family? What does it mean to have his back? To be known, heard, and seen. It obviously doesn't mean that you're going to be safe from all hardship. In fact, it may mean because you're in the family, there's going to be some hard expectations for you. But I think it's worth it. A God of miracles. Like, think about your life, right? When have you suffered in mortality? And as you suffered and you were in the family of God, what evidence did you see that God had seen you, that God heard you or God knew you in that day? I think if you look back, you'll see it. Donald Hallstrom of the 70 tells a story about this this way. He says, a year ago on assignment in the state of California, I went with the state president to visit Clark and Holly Fells and their family in their home. I was told they, they recently had experienced a miracle. Upon our arrival, Clark struggled to stand and greet us as he was wearing a, ba- uh, a black brace and a neck brace and braces on his arms. Just over two months prior, Clark, his son Ty, and about 30 other young men and leaders set out on a stake-high adventure activity, hiking to the 14,180-foot summit of Mount Shasta, one of the highest peaks in California. On the second day of the arduous hike, most of the climbers reached the summit, a thrilling accomplishment made possible because of months of preparation. One of the first people to the top that day was Clark. After a brief rest uh, near the edge of the summit, he stood and began to walk. As he did, he tripped and fell backwards over the edge of a cliff, suffering a free fall of about 40 feet. And then an out-of-control tumble down the icy slope for another 300 feet. Remarkably, Clark survived. But he was severely injured and unable to move. The miracles Clark experienced during this traumatic event were just beginning. Some of the first to reach him happened to be a group of hikers that included, a mountain, res- that included mountain rescue guides and emergency medical professionals. They immediately treated Clark for shock and provided gear to keep him warm. This group also happened to be testing a new communication device and sent an emergency request for help from an area where cell phones could not get a signal. A small helicopter was immediately dispatched to Mount Shasta from an hour away after two dangerous but unsuccessful attempts to land at an altitude that pushed the limits of the aircraft and, uh, and struggling with treacherous wind conditions the pilot began a third and final try. As the helicopter approached from a different angle, the winds happened to change, and the aircraft landed just long enough for the group to to quickly and painfully squeeze Clark into the small compartment behind the pilot's seat. When Clark was evaluated at the trauma center, tests revealed that he had sustained multiple fractures in his neck, back, ribs, and wrist a punctured lung, and multitude of cuts and abrasions. 
a renowned neurotrauma surgeon happened to be on duty that day. He is at this hospital only a few times a year. This doctor later stated that he had never seen anyone sustain so much damage to the spinal cord and carotid arteries and live. Clark was not only expected to live, but to return to full function. Describing himself as agnostic, the surgeon said Clark's case went against all his scientific learning about neurological injuries and could only be described as a miracle. As Clark and Holly finished relating this intense account, I found it difficult to speak. It was not simply because of the obvious miracle, because of the greater one. I had a profound impression, a spiritual witness, that Holly and each of the five beautiful children that sat in the living room around their parents have such faith they could have accepted whatever the outcome might have been that day. And they still would have spiritually prospered. Clark and Holly and their oldest two children, Ty and Porter, are, are with us today in the conference center, he says. And pondering the, the question, and pondering the experience of the Fales family, I have thought much about the circumstances of so many others. What about the innumerable faith-filled and priesthood blessing, receiving unending prayed for covenant-keeping, full of hope Latter-day Saints, whose miracle never comes, at least in the way they understand a miracle, at least in the way others appear to receive miracles? What about those who suffer from a profound afflictions physically, mentally, emotionally for years or for decades or for their entire mortal life? What about those who die very young? A critical question to ponder is this. Where do we place our faith? Is our faith focused on simply wanting to be relieved of pain and suffering, or is it firmly centered on God, the Father, and His holy plan, and in Jesus the Christ and His atonement? Faith in the Father and the Son allows us to understand and accept their will as we prepare for eternity. End quote right there. So what do we get out of these stories? What does it mean to be a child of God on this earth? What does it mean to be in the covenant? What do you see there? I want you to think about this. I want you to reflect on this. I want you to to wonder on this. What do you take away from these stories? You, You have some choice. You have some influence here. What does it mean to cut a covenant with God, to be all in with him? I testify that he is real and he is a God of miracles. And that he is the high priest of good things to come. Being in his family is so worth it. And I leave this with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.